I have an exciting message for you today, but more importantly than that, I believe God has a powerful message for you. And uh, so I would love us for, for us to just start this time uh, by praying together that God will speak clearly uh, to each one of our hearts. So uh, pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you that you, you are here. And now as we look at your word together, we pray you will speak clearly to each one of our hearts and minds. And then lead us to respond to you in all of the ways that you want us to respond and follow your leadership, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a new message series called What Christ People Do. We're going through the, the process of just walking through the six characteristics of what is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ look like. This is, this is what we were designed to do as, as people of Christ, and that's who we are, right? We are Christ people. What do Christ people do? People who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We've said that our vision as a church is to be a biblical community who loves God and loves and supports one another. That's really just a restatement of the great commandment. We've said our mission is, we've said this for 23 years now, our mission is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's the great, it's the great commission to go everywhere around the world, starting in our own homes, in our own community, and lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And a fully devoted follower is this, and we're walking through this over the next several weeks. I've spent the last couple of weeks, and will again this morning, talking about worship, because it all begins there. That's where we begin a relationship with Jesus. We've said, and I'll talk more about it this morning, we're all designed to worship something, and God is inviting us to worship Him. That's the first step, is worship. Let's follow, let's go through those six characteristics. The second one is to connect. Connect to the heart of God. We'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. And connect to the hearts of one another. And then God invites us to grow and become mature, just like we want our children to grow up. God wants his children to grow up and be completely mature, even as mature as Jesus Christ, the word tells us. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And we can only do that with God's help. So we, we need to grow and become mature spiritually. We need to serve and use the gifts and the abilities that God's given us that, it, that flow through us from the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to give and be generous the way God is generous to us. He owns it all anyway. We are just his stewards. We're, we serve at his pleasure and we distribute and manage the resources that he entrusts to us. And we need to be generous with those. And then we yield. And we'll talk. So we'll talk more about that. Yielding is, is really following the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he lives in us and flows through us and leads us to do what he wants us to do. So again, that's, that's the, those are the six characteristics we'll be talking about, again, over the next several weeks. This morning, I want to I do one more message on worship. We started a couple weeks ago at the beginning of the year by talking about the fact that we were made for this. We're made to worship. We're made in such, God, God placed a DNA in us. We have to worship something. Just like we have to breathe air and we have to eat food, we have to worship. We worship everybody worships something. Some people worship a lot more than just one thing, but just we're, we're made to worship. And you can go anywhere in the world and you can see that true, how true that is. You can find people who will worship something because we're made for that. 
Last week we talked about the fact that we're formed for this. Even the way God formed us when he made us physically, our bodies are made to worship. God says, worship me, love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Worship him completely with everything that we have. This morning, the title of the message is, you were designed for this. God's an architect. He has had us in mind since the beginning of time. Way before the beginning of time as we know it. And he designed you for this. He placed his identity in you. He signed you. You you bear God's signature. Is that exciting to you? Our kids, we used to tell our kids that, and as we would explain, you know, as they were growing up, they would ask all kinds of questions, you know, and you always try to give age-appropriate answers to all those questions. And so our kids would ask the the question, um, Daddy, Mommy, why do I have a belly button? And we'd say, well... When God makes little kids, he lines them all up, and he looks at them, and he says, you are perfect in every way, and then he goes down the line, and he says, you're done, you're done, you're done, you're done. (laughs) You bear the signature of God, and even as little children, they need to know that, don't they? that God has touched them, that he loves them, and he's designed them exactly the way they are, each one of us. Our Father's greatest desire is to dwell in us. Point number one, if you're following along in your notes, and I hope you are taking some notes here and keeping track, this is really, this is just such an important message for us, for all of us, me included. Point one is, we're designed... We're designed to be a dwelling place where God resides. Each one of us individually. We are designed to be a dwelling place where God resides. You have his presence in you. Do you believe that? As a follower of God, do you believe that? You have his presence in you. And the Father's greatest desire is to be close to us. When he's with us, He can fill us with all of his attributes, with all of his, you know, Paul talks about the attributes of God in Galatians chapter 5. It's called, we we know it often as we read it as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's, It's what happens when God fills us with his presence and we begin to acknowledge his leadership and his presence in us and his power in us. It manifests the, the work of God, the, the presence of God manifests in us in all kinds of ways. He gives us his love. He gives us his joy. He gives us his patience, his loving kindness, his, all of his attributes get manifested in us and through us. I'm going to show you an example. I'll just illustrate an example of how this works. When you spend time with God and God spends time with you and he pours into you, you get to experience his joy. I'm going to show you a video about how our granddaughter, Iris, gets to experience the joy of hanging out with Grandma, with Nana. This is the way it works with us and God. Watch this.
Do you ever giggle like that with God? Do you ever experience that kind of joy because you're so connected to the heart of God? Because that's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. He wants us. In fact, Jesus even tells us, when we have hearts like little children, we'll get the kingdom of God. You know, I don't know about you, but, and, and I, I can speak to, say this for me personally, my tendency is to take myself way too seriously and not to take God seriously enough. But when I start taking God a little more seriously, I find out that I don't even need to take myself or the rest of the world all that seriously. I can just enjoy his presence. You ever feel that way? You experience that? That's what God wants for you. God is determined to rescue us and restore us redeem us so that he can dwell in us and so that we can dwell with him. 3,500 years ago, God rushed in to rescue his people when they were held captive in Egypt by the most powerful man in the world at that time, Pharaoh. He sent Moses in to rescue his people with his power. And Moses had spent time in God's presence, and so God's presence went with Moses. Moses had come into God's presence, and now he was going out to meet the most powerful man in the world with the presence of God on his life. And God worked through Moses and Aaron and a few leaders to lead his people out of slavery and to the promised land. And that's what the Father always is doing. He's been doing it ever since that time. He's constantly rushing in to rescue us and lead us to safety, to redeem us, and to restore us, and to lead us to the promised land. That's what he wants for all of us. And then he, he led them by his manifest presence. He led the people out of Egypt into the promised land with his manifest presence. In other words, he manifested his presence physically. Remember how he did that? Anybody remember the story? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night was his manifest presence. But it just wasn't close enough. He said, I, they, they see me now as a God who's far off, who's powerful, who's manifesting my presence and leading them, and that's all good. But he goes, I want to be closer to them. In Exodus 25, verse 8, he says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. That's why we sing the song we sing around here often, that he's a good, good father. Because he is good. He wants what's best for us, and the best thing he can do for us is dwell in us and with us, and for us to dwell in him and with him. Now, I understand that one of the reasons that's difficult for some of us to grasp, maybe many of us to grasp, is because Many of us didn't have a father who wanted to dwell close to us or with us. But our heavenly father is not the same as our earthly father. He is not a distant God. He is not a distant father. He is not an absentee father. He is not a father who rejects us. He is a father who wants to dwell among us, in us, with us, to love us, to bring us closer to himself. always what he's wanting. The father imparts identity. 
Our Heavenly Father gives us, in fact, this is something he did in Genesis 1. It says, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, I want to, let's, let's make man in our image. In that, in that way, he was designing us, making us, creating us to give us his identity. Nothing else in all creation bears the identity of God the Father. And fathers, it's our role as fathers to impart identity to our children. Many of us have not known how to do that. We need to receive that from God the Father. All of us do. Every single one of us need to receive our identity. But for that to happen, it's necessary for him to live in the house, in your house, in your life, in your dwelling. We said last week, remember we said you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the way God created you. God created you to be the temple where he could dwell, where he could live. Now, we can help one another practice his manifest presence by the way we love one another. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. But this we know that we, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. God still manifests his presence as we love one another. We'll talk more about that in the next few weeks as we talk about the way that as followers of Jesus, one of the things a devoted follower does is connect to the heart of God and connect to one another. We'll be talking more about what that looks like because that's one of the ways God manifests his presence and his power and his love and all of his attributes through our lives. He does it as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we pray for one another. That's one of the things we do every Sunday here at this altar at the end of the service. One of the reasons we gather is to pray, to worship, and to, and to, to celebrate his presence to listen to his word, but the prayer time at the end is our ministry time when we can love and care and serve one another. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you, the very presence of God. First John chapter 2, 27 says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. I think that's a, <laughs> an amazing passage of Scripture reminding us that God's presence abides in us and teaches us everything we need to know. The closer we get to God, the more we hear his voice. The more we relate to him, the more he teaches us all that we need to know. To love him and to love one another. So we're designed to be the dwelling place for God. Secondly, you were designed to be a priest. Did you know that? Did you know you were designed to be a priest? To go into his presence as a priest let's read first peter chapter 2 verse 5 it says you also if you're following along in your bibles highlight that or underline it or circle it you also as living stones 
are being built up as a spiritual house for a what? For a holy priesthood. That's who you are. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the high priest, but you're a holy priesthood. To offer prayer and intercession and to be a holy vessel carrying the Lord, to go into the presence of the Lord. Skip down to verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, again, but you, circle that, but you, that's you. That's not somebody else. That's you. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. If you haven't already started thinking of yourself as a priest, I want you to start thinking of yourself that way. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time with that. In fact, if I walked up to you and said to some of you, are you a saint? You'd probably go, I don't think so. I'm not a saint. But you are. If you're a follower of Jesus... You're a saint. It's what the Bible says. You're a saint. And, we're going to take it a step further now, you're a priest. I'm reading you the Bible. (laughs) That's what God tells you. He wants you to think of yourself as a priest. Here's why. Because identity precedes function. Did you know that? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You need to know that you're a priest. You are a saint and you're a priest who carries the presence of God with you. So, just just for fun, so that you can say it out loud, turn to somebody sitting close by and say, I'm a priest. Did you know that? No, say it with conviction, really. <clears throat> You're a priest. You're a priest. Can you receive that? I'm just reading the scripture. <laughs> You're a priest. That's your identity. And now that you know who you are, now you'll know what to do. Because identity determines function. See, originally there were only a few. Only a few could be priests. I think that's the way we tend to think, that only a few can be priests. That's the way it was originally. And let me read a passage of Scripture that talks about that and what the priest's function was. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8 says, at that time, and we're talking about that time. We're not talking about this time. We're talking about that time. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark, underline that, of the covenant of the Lord, and to stand before the Lord to serve him, underline that, and to bless in his name, underline that part, until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion of inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him. He gave an inheritance to every other tribe of Israel, part of the land. They gave it to possess 
and they had houses to live in. They planted their own crops, and they took care of their own uh, herds and so, so on. They had their own vineyards. That was their inheritance. It was a physical inheritance in the land. To the, Levi, to the Levites, he made them priests. He said, you don't need an inheritance. You've got everything you need because I, God, I am your inheritance, he said to them. You realize that's what he's saying to you? Now think about it for a second. Think about how significant this is, friends. You don't need to worry about physical things or what you're gathering together or what you're trying to amass as a, as a sort of a temporary portfolio here on earth. That stuff's all temporary anyway. You don't need to worry about that. You have an inheritance of the Lord. God is your inheritance. Jesus is the high priest. He's inherited it all, and he's going to share all of that with everyone who knows him. <laughs> Come on, I think that's really exciting. Don't you think that's exciting? What do you have to worry about? Nothing. <laughs> you get everything. You get God. You get everything. That's your inheritance. Your inheritance is the Lord. Now let's look at the function of priests because that's what we do. If you're a priest, here's what you do. Three things. You carry the ark, which is the presence of God. Just let that sink in for a second. You carry the ark, which is the presence of God, with you wherever you go. Secondly, you stand before the Lord and you minister to him. That's what worship is all about. Standing before the Lord, ministering to him, singing your praise, your adoration, your thanksgiving, your worship with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we do. We minister to him. And thirdly, you bless in his name. You proclaim his blessing to all those you encounter. That's what priests do. And it happens in that order. You carry the presence of God wherever you go. You stand before him. That's what we do when we gather together here on Sunday mornings. We gather and we stand before the presence of the Lord. You can do that in your own quiet place, and I hope you do every single day. Stand before the Lord and minister to him. And then thirdly, you bless in his name. You bless those around you. You bless your children. You bless your spouse. You bless your coworkers. You bless your friends. You bless your enemies. You bless everyone in his name. That's what you do as a priest. I'm going to tell you a story about Brother Lawrence. Some of you know about him. Um, Brother Lawrence was a very humble man. He lived in the 1600s. I think he was, he was born around 1617 and lived throughout most of the, would it be the 17th century very humble man, very poor. He wrote a book. I'd really re recommend you write this down and read it. He wrote a book called, uh, let me make sure I get the title right, The Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's really his letters. Let me tell you a story briefly. Brother Lawrence um, was very poor and ended up wanting to serve God more fully and more completely. So they allowed him to come in. Although he was an uneducated man, they allowed him to come in and serve in a monastery. Because he didn't have credentials and training and education, and so the only job he could get is washing dishes in the kitchen. He said, I'll take it. 
And for the last 30 or 40 years of his life, he washed dishes. And then later on in his life, he repaired the shoes of the priests that lived in the monastery. But he had such a peace about him, and he practiced the presence of God in such a powerful way, people would just stream into the monastery not to talk to the other priests. They wanted to talk to Brother Lawrence. And he would write letters back and forth. And the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, is a compilation of the letters he wrote to the people who were asking questions about how do you do this? How do you live in the presence of God? How do you carry his presence? How do you stand before him and minister to him? And how do you bless in his name? I'd encourage you. Now, we don't even know the names of the other priests and so that were serving in the monastery, but because Brother Lawrence practiced the presence of God, we still know his name almost 500 years later. Isn't that amazing? That's how you practice the presence of God. That's what you were designed to do. And we've talked about being a dwelling place, and now we're a priest, and now let's talk about the third thing you were designed for, and that is to carry his presence everywhere all the time. You're designed to carry the kingdom everywhere you go and to all you encounter as you go out and as you come in. Let me talk about that for a second. Um, if you remember the storyline, some of you will, some of you won't, but the first king that Israel had was King Saul. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted a man. Really what they were saying is, God, we're rejecting the fact that you want to be our king. We want, a, we want an earthly king. We want a guy we can touch and see. We want somebody we can, you know, put in a, in a role of king. And so God finally relented and he said, okay, I'll give you Saul. And Saul was the first king. He wasn't a great king, but let's face it, he didn't know what he was doing. He, 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 didn't, even, he didn't even know what a good king looked like. There were no such thing as a good king. So he didn't do very well. And so God decided after Saul had failed several times, God's presence was removed from Saul. And King David was anointed as a young boy, grew into the kingship, and eventually took that role and position. Let's pick up the story there in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David. For the Lord was with him, meaning he was with David but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him, David, from his presence and appointed him as the commander of a thousand. And when he went out and came in, and he went out and came in before the people. Next verse. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. You see, Paul, Saul was afraid of David because he no longer had the presence of the Lord with him. If you're afraid of something, you need more of the presence of the Lord with you. Verse 16, all of Israel and, Jeho and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. What does this mean? He was going out and coming in. What is that all about? Um, it reminded me this week as I was thinking about this and studying this of my little brother, Matt, who's 10 years younger than I am. Um, he grew up, he was always very, very high energy. I was thinking, you know, if he grew up in, in our day now, he'd probably have a diagnosis of some sort. <clears throat> but he was always high energy. My grandmother would watch him for a while, always running in, going in, going out of the house, going, going up and down the stairs, all over the place like a Tasmanian devil. And she would say, have you ever heard your grandmother say this? That boy don't know where he's, whether he's a coming or a going. 
He was just always on the go. Does your life ever feel that way? A lot of going and coming? You feel like you're just worn out. Here's the difference. When King David was coming and going, what it means is he was going into the presence of God and then he was taking the presence of God with him wherever he went. And that's why God blessed him. And when he had a question, he'd go to the presence of God. He'd go to the temple. So when it says he was constantly going and coming, what it really means is he was constantly going into the presence of God and he was leaving then to take the presence of God with him. The people watched him do that. That's what made him a good king. That's why David is known as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was constantly in front of the heart of God. Somebody probably should have said, Amen. I love the line in the scriptures that says, David served God in his generation. That's who he is. That's who he was. Many of our lives are moving so fast, we never slow down enough to experience the fullness of worship in spirit and truth. We never, we never get to experience the presence of God and the way that he wants to infuse us with his character and his nature and his attributes and his love and his joy and his patience and loving kindness and all of his nature. You know, um, in, as Jesus uh, made his way toward Jerusalem and ultimately was sacrificed for us and then ultimately ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples, he said, wait here in Jerusalem. Now their, their tendency, their, their desire sort of was to, to run and to flee. He said, wait here and the presence of God will come on you. And you will experience, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, he said. And then he waved goodbye at them and ascended to the right hand of the Father to sit there as the high priest. So they waited. And sure enough, just as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit came and he filled them. You can read this in Acts chapter 2. And he filled them with his presence and with his power. And immediately after that, after that happened, after that amazing, miraculous event happened, and what, what's so amazing, there's a lot of things that are amazing and miraculous about that, but one of the things that's so amazing and miraculous about that is because now the Holy Spirit is available to live in every single one of us. You see, there's no longer just a few who can be a priest. Now, you're a priest if you follow Jesus. Because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Immediately after that, it says that Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John decided to go into the temple to worship, to go into the presence of God. And as they were going in, they encountered a man who was lame. It says he was laying there, his family put him there every single day at the beautiful gate I was just there month, about two months ago. 
the beautiful gate of the temple that enters into the temple from the east side. You go up the Kidron Valley, across the Kidron Valley into the beautiful gate and into the temple courts. They laid this man there. He'd been lame. He was over 40 years old and he'd never walked a single step in his entire life. He looked at Peter and John as they came in and was asking them for money. And they said, we don't have anything at all. We don't have any money. They said, we don't have any silver or gold. But what we do have, we're going to share with you. And they did. And they reached down and they took, now think about the significance of this. This guy's never walked a day in his life. But they reached down and they grabbed him by the hand and he stood up. Not only did he stand up, read it. The Bible says he was leaping and dancing and praising God. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And then the, it created such a ruckus that the Jewish officials, the temple vanguard, got word of it, and they didn't want these guys to be preaching in the name of Jesus near the temple. These are the same guys that had, had Jesus crucified. Now let me explain what's happening here. They are priests. They are ambassadors. You too are a priest, and you too are an ambassador. Let me explain what that means. We all know what an ambassador is, right? We've just had a change of power in our administration in this country, and that means that, he, that, that our new president will be selecting several new ambassadors to fill positions of ambassador in embassies all around the world, in countries all around the world. Some of them will stay, most of them will be replaced. And he will place new ambassadors there. And when an ambassador goes to a new country, he has, there is U.S. sovereignty over him wherever he is. Did you know that? That's why they call, that's why they sometimes talk about diplomatic immunity. Because he has diplomatic immunity. What that means is wherever he is, wherever he places his feet is known in the unilateral legal agreements from country to country and around the UN and so he has legal right to be there because he has legal rights in the United States. He's representing the United States. The embassy where he offices belongs to the United States. That land belongs to the United States. And wherever that ambassador goes, he is in the United States. If he goes to the grocery store to buy bread, wherever he's standing in that grocery store is the United States sovereign territory. Did you know that? That's what happens with an ambassador. So when he acts and when he speaks and wherever he goes, he is sovereignly protected by the United States of America because he's representing that government. The reason I tell you this is this. That's the way it works with you too. And that's the way it worked with John and Peter. Trey, come up here for a second. When John and Peter reached out their hand to grab the man who was sitting and laying at the gate, beautiful, the kingdom of God passed through them and into that man, and it made him whole. Thank you. Do you believe that? That's the way it works. 
you carry the kingdom of God wherever you go. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They, meaning the temple vanguard, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Seeing the man who'd been healed standing, <laughs> I love that. He's not sitting, he's not laying down, he's standing. With them, they had nothing to say in reply. What were they going to say? When they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place to them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they'd summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God or to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. You see, they're priests. They carry the presence of God. They minister to God in his presence. And they go about blessing people in his name. That's what we do. That's what you are to do. When they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people. They knew there'd be a riot because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. You were made for this. You were formed for this. You were designed for this. You are destined for this. To be the dwelling place of God. To be a priest in the name of Jesus. And to carry his blessing wherever you go. Do you believe that? Do you realize how significant that is? This is not a game, but it's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> We've said before, you know, not following God and living a life of sin is fun temporarily. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. But it doesn't work and it can't last. It always leads to death. Therefore, if you're here this morning and you have not yet begun following Jesus, you know now what you have to look forward to. It's not always easy. Sometimes you get arrested and dragged before the authorities. But it's right and it's good and it leads to life. Life for you and everyone around you and everywhere you go. 
You are the dwelling place of God. Everywhere you go, you're a priest, who, an ambassador, who carries the kingdom with you. Wherever you place your foot is the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we consider the truth that you've been teaching us in your word today, I'm just wondering, Lord, what the Holy Spirit's been saying to each one of us. I know you've spoken to me powerfully in this message as I prepared it. And so I pray that you're speaking now to every person who's here. If you're here this morning, just every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning and you would say, I need to begin a journey with God, I need to begin following Jesus, or I need to come back into relationship with him. Would you pray, raise your hand so I can pray with you? Just raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Anybody this morning? Everybody's in a growing relationship with God? Good. Then what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit been saying to you as we've had this time together? Father, I pray you'll continue to speak to us and lead us now to, to move into this time of ministry here in the altars where we can pray for one another. We can pray for others we know who need to know you. We can come into your presence and experience your touch and your powerful anointing flowing in and through us as you do what only you can do. And so, Lord, lead and draw every man, every woman, to yourself this morning as we continue to worship you and receive from you what you have for us to receive. In Jesus' name.